Principal Cafella, we are live. Are you ready to do this, brother? I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do it. KTTV, uh, giving you what you need. Uh, motivation, education unleashed. H-Town representing, we forever keep it rolling. Join the conversation with inspirational stories. Thought provoking, feel that energy. Kendrick Thomas aiming to lift the community. True indeed, uh, tune in, come and see. Giving you what you need. KTTV, let's go. KTTV. What to do, KTTV? This is KT, and you are welcoming. <laughs> Welcome to the inaugural edition of the Education Unleashed podcast uh, with none other than KT and my special guest, education consultant, principal for life, <laughs> the man himself, Principal Kofele. How you doing today, brother? I'm on fire. I'm blazing. Having a great day and, 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 and looking forward to having this conversation with you. Yes, sir. Um, man, I sure appreciate your time. Uh, as we talked a little bit off the air, you told me about the moving around. You've been doing all uh, the podcast interviews. And so I just appreciate you, man, for wrapping up the day with us uh, and giving me that opportunity to just talk to you. Um, you know, I talked to you so much about your inspiration for such a lot of things. So looking forward to this conversation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Now, before we get into that, though, I do like to do a wellness check. Uh, because mental health is well. So how are you uh, and how are you feeling as you do that journey of educating and speaking and consulting? Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm feeling good. You know, I take care of myself. I'm, I, I, I hit the treadmill today with all the hours that I've been speaking today. I still managed to get that 30, uh, what was it, 40 minutes in today on that treadmill to just keep keep that blood circulating. You know, I had a heart attack um, seven years ago, so I got to make sure that I do the right things, eat right, so that I can stay alive. Man, and and with that, uh, that heart attack, you know, as we get older, uh, I'm 42, and so, you know, I'm looking at things don't heal the way they used to. They don't yeah. go away like they supposed to. Yeah. And so what was one of the biggest things you think led on that heart attack, and, and what was the biggest change that you made? Yeah, it was all diet. That was my my heart attack was preventable. And, you know, sometimes they're not, um, but mine was fully preventable. I was eating fast food like it was going out of style, and my main artery clogged up on me one hundred percent in the middle of a keynote address at the University of Miami on May one, two thousand fifteen. And it it happened. It was a sixty minute keynote, so thirty minutes in, approximately twenty thirty minutes in, bam. But I didn't know what it was, so I finished the speech. So I did another 30 minutes on undergoing a heart attack. Yeah. And it, the pain was was indescribable. But I thought it was, I didn't know what I thought it was, gas, bad food, I, I don't know. But I, but I didn't think I was literally standing there dying. And that's essentially what I was doing. So the doctors were able to save my life by getting me to the hospital in time, putting a stent in the artery. And then um, diagnosing that I also contracted type 2 diabetes with the heart attack. So it was a double whammy that night. But here I am, much lighter. I'm, I'll be 62 in a few days, but I'm feeling like I'm 25. So, you know, I'm, on I'm good. Yeah, taking care of yes, myself. Sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, well, happy early birthday, first off. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just saying a few days. Actually, it's not till October, but okay, it's, it's coming. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, um, man, I don't even know if you need too much of an introduction to my audience. But for the people that don't know, 
what you do, man. Can you just tell them a little bit about it? Yeah, um, started off as a teacher in uh, New York City in 1988 and okay. then came on back home to my state, New Jersey, and taught there for seven years and then went on and became a principal and did that for 14 years. Um, they tell me I did some phenomenal things, so I'll, 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 I'll take it. So we did that. But in the meantime, while I was doing that work, I was writing. So I was I, I wrote my first book in 1991, um, soon after my first year as a prince, as a teacher. And it became an Essence magazine, number one bestseller. It was called uh, a, a Black Parents Handbook to Educating Your Children Outside of the Classroom. And, it, um, you know, that, that book was my full time job. I used to hustle it all over New York City and, and New Jersey on a daily basis, wake up and just hustle my books. And there was a black books market in place during those days. So it, it was being sold in black bookstores all over the nation in different parts mm. of the world. Those that, you know, that market is that that network is really not in place like it used to be anymore. There's just a few of those stores. But anyway, then went on and got hooked up with um, ASCD, which is the biggest uh, professional development company and probably on the planet, but they're also a publisher. So they've been publishing me now for a while. They publish eight of my books of the 12 that I've written. So that's and then and then I'm a speaker. I'm a speaker, yes, consultant, keynoter, all that kind of thing. And that's what I do for a living. I, I run my mouth all day, every day, somewhere, whether it be in person or virtually. But this is something that I built yes, with my hands um, out of nothing. You know, when I left my principalship 11 years ago, I had no clients, but I stepped away on faith and I built this this business that I have yeah. now called Principal Gafele Consulting. Come on, man. That's that's the biggest piece about it. Um, you know, with so much, I was doing the podcast uh, before this season, and I was covering so many aspects of um, the community, right? You know, I want to teach them about finance. I want to talk about our health, our wealth. And so after that, I, I was thinking like, okay, it's time to really hone back in and, and let's develop that craft because when I step out, you know, uh, and, and take that leap of faith, you got to have that, that um, that bridge, right? So let's get back into what we know and we'll yeah. take it from there. <laughs> now, one of the books that you wrote um, touched my soul and it was the springboard for so many of my wins as a male educator. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember sending you my um, sending you my news clip, you know, just to talk about things which I created uh, from that book, Motivating Black Males to Achieve in School and in yeah. Life. And so I'm going I'm to I'm paint the picture of how I got that book, Principal Confederate. Okay. I'm in College Station, Texas. Okay. We have a uh, staff that is other than uh, African-American, 94%. But we have an African-American um, population of students that is 76%. Okay. And so coming out of Texas A&M, that was a real big issue on that sympathy versus empathy. And so uh, the thing was, I wanted to use this book to have a book study with the teachers to kind of build that bridge to kind of help them more understand what we was doing. And so that's when I ended up reading the book. That was the purpose. And from that came the book club. So okay. thinking about two, uh, 2009, who was the guy that wrote that book and why was it so appropriate for that time? Yeah, that was me. Um, <laughs> my first book written... Um, under that publisher, ASCD, and, you know, Association for Supervision Curriculum Development. And at that time, everybody was talking about, the they were raising the question, what's wrong with, the, with black males? 
Why are we not connecting with black males? And my answer has been consistent for all these years. There's nothing wrong with black males. It's just that we've got folks in classrooms that don't know how to reach them, don't know how to connect with them, don't think that they can be generic. And and whatever I use with one group is going to work with the next group, going to work with the next group. And it doesn't work that way. So I wrote a book, that, that particular book, to talk to that educator who was struggling. And a lot of what a lot of that content is dealing with being being culturally relevant, introducing youngster to his or her own history, in this case, his history, his story, so that he has a sense of who he is beyond the name on the birth certificate and and and, and understanding what his role is along the continuum of life and struggle. So the biggest challenge to all that is as a teacher, I can't teach what I don't know. And a lot of what I want the young men to know is is historical, who they are, so that so that you realize that you're more than what pop culture dictates that you are. You you you've got science flowing through your veins. You've got mathematics flowing through your veins. You've got engineering, technology, architecture, medicine, intellectualism. You've got you've got all of this flowing through your vein, but school being what it is today and what it has always been the young man is not exposed to that so he doesn't know so he's exposed to something that's this 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 very much culturally irrelevant to who he is and then he loses he, he he loses that sense of excitement that he may have walked in there with as a youngster and now i don't see what it is that this thing called education is supposed to do for my life i don't see the correlation between maximum effort in my classroom and what that's supposed to translate into relative to my life outside of school. So I wrote that book to say, teacher, you got to be culturally relevant. You got to You got to give that youngster opportunity to see him or herself within the learning. Come on, man. That, that's it. Well, I feel like I was on the right track with my plan for it then. So I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> So now that's 2009. Fast forward 2015, you pinned the principal 50. Yeah. Um, and, and it's been on from there, I feel. So by this time, what transpired in life for you to even um, put the, to even put you on that journey of helping leaders and inspiring yeah. leaders? Well, well, well it's, it's interesting because in 13, I had written a book called Closing the Attitude Gap. Um, where, where I said, instead of the achievement gap, which has never been my issue, um, I said that that's not relevant language. I said, if we're going to talk about achievement, let's talk about the variables we can control. And those variables that, pe- that people like to reference, such as poverty, I said, okay, poverty is real, but, but tell me what control or influence you have over it that you can impact it so that youngster doesn't come in as, as a victim of it. And obviously, we don't have control over that. So I said, well, let's look at the variables we can control. And the the one that stood out for me was attitude. So I started saying not the achievement gap, but the attitude gap, the gap between those students who have the will to achieve excellence and those who do not. But then I looked at the educator and I said, the gap between those educators who have the who have who have the gap between those educators who have the will to be amazing at their craft and those who do not. So I looked at those two gaps and I started expending energy there. So with that, I said, you know, I'm writing for teachers so much. 
I need to write for leaders. And, and hence your question, I wrote the, the uh, principle 50. And the principle 50, that number 50, someone just asked me today, they ask me all the time, why do you have 50s on so many of your books? And I said, because I, I created a brand using this 50, meaning that there are 50 self-reflective questions for the reader to consider. And then my commentary. So I'm using the questions as a mirror for that for that reader to look within oneself as they're reading to say, how does this question correlate with my practice? How does this question correlate with my leadership? So that's um that was the motivation behind that book. I write these thin books. You know, I got I was inspired by Dr. Jawanza Kunjufu who's a hero of mine who was writing thin books. And I said, I think I'm going to do what he did because when the book is thin, there's a higher probability that it will be read because, you know, we educators are so busy. And, and, and also what I learned from him was keeping it readable so that, so that it, I don't have to have a thesaurus nearby and a dictionary nearby to understand what's being read. Just write it for the busy educator, keep it thin, keep it readable. And that way the educator can get through it. So that was, he was my inspiration and every book I've written has been uh, along those lines. So that's, that's, that's why that book came into being. Great, great insight on, on the series. Um, just understanding so much when I tell you um, the assistant principle, uh, those, those books, matter of fact, the, the Academy, just getting a chance to catch up with the videos, watching some of the interviews, um, just awesome work that you're doing, man. So as you give us a little insight on the virtual AP Leadership Academy, sure. also give me some one of the uh, most requested topics that you talk about, yeah. some of that feedback. Yeah, it's um, I started that academy because back in 2000, um, I guess it was 18, I wrote a, um, a blog post called the assistant principalship, the most misunderstood and underutilized position in all of education. And, and of all the blog posts and articles and so forth I've written over the years, that was the one that went viral. I said, now that's interesting. That article, that short thousand word article, 800 word, whatever it was, resonated with a lot of people. So I called my publisher and I said, you know, I'm going to turn this article into a book because there's an interest in this topic. So I went on and created this book, wrote this book called The Assistant Principle 50, Critical Questions for whatever the subtitle is. I don't even remember. But but The Assistant Principle 50, right, for effective assistant principal leadership, I think it is. And um, and the book is the best selling book that I've ever written. Um, it, the, the numbers haven't matched, say motivating black males yet. Cause it hasn't been out as long, but in terms of the pace that it's on, you know, it stays in the Amazon top 100 administration and all that kind of thing, because there's a lot of APs out there or aspiring APs who are hungry for information that goes beyond them as disciplinarians. So, I, so, so I'm on this one man crusade to change the way that the assistant principal is being utilized. So, so, so with that, here kind so the book was out, and then here came the pandemic. Um, the book came out in, I, I, I believe, in 2020. Yeah. So, yeah, it came out in 2020, and then here comes the pandemic. So now I said, well, we're home, everybody, and I'm, I'm still on this, this AP mission. Let me create a platform since we're all home. 
where on Saturday for 18 consecutive Saturdays from the first Saturday in May to the last Saturday in August, I'm going to spend 30 minutes each session talking to the assistant principal about assistant principal leadership beyond disciplinarian. Well, that first day, 30 minutes was a struggle. May 2nd, 2020, and it became, I think I finished in 45 minutes. That next Saturday, it was an hour. And I, I tried to keep it in an hour, but then it started going over an hour. And next thing I knew, I was doing it for 90 minutes because I had so much to say. And I was doing this thing solo at the time. So then by the time I got to the 18th week, which was the last week, and thousands upon thousands of people were watching the 18 weeks, I said, well, I can't stop this thing now with that kind of interest. So last Saturday, I finished week number 123. This Saturday, week number 124. I never stopped. I haven't missed a Saturday yet. And the when I'm on the road, like a lot of times a client wants me to speak on a Saturday. And I tell them, I say, yeah, I'll come out on a Saturday. But I will not speak between the hours of 1055 and 1230. So we're going to have to figure something out. Either you have me speak before 1055 Eastern or after 1230. And you got to give me time to drive unless you're going to provide me with a room. I said, but nothing can interfere. So one client had me do the live session in front of a live audience. So that was cool, too. And I know another one is I think we're going to do that at the National Alliance of Black School Educators Conference in December. We're going to do that in front of a live audience as well. So I'm saying that to say this thing is so serious with me that I don't let anything interfere with it. I, I, I do them live every Saturday. I recorded one recently because um because of religious reasons my guests could not come on live i was supposed to go on a cruise that week and we couldn't go um something had come up with the family and um so we recorded her session i introed it live and then we recorded her and we were able to make it work you know so i haven't missed a week Man, I appreciate that dedication. You know, um, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, and it's uh, it's very real. Uh, like you say, I I'm thankful uh, that I do have leaders that do push me beyond the disciplinarian. But uh, but I do know how easy it is to get caught up in that role. You know, yeah. uh, in the academy, you talk a lot about the importance of that mindset. Yeah. Uh, whether it be your mindset of an AP, mindset of a principal, so um. As a person who, who really focuses in on that, why is the mindset of a leader or educator so crucial to the success or failure of that career? Yeah, great question, because it's, it's the attitude yeah. of the leader. So the question becomes, what attitude is that leader bringing toward that school, the uh, students, the teachers, the staff, the parents, the community? And we can go on and on. What attitude am I bringing in terms of what I feel, what I believe that that school can become because I lead it? So you, so as you, I'm sure you know, I wrote a book called Is My School a Better School Because I Lead It, which is, which is a title all about attitude. So what is, what is my attitude? What is my purpose as it relates to that school? What is my mission as it relates to that school? What is my vision as it relates to that school? Right. And, 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 and do I believe that I have the leadership capacity to take a school, whether it be a low performance school and a mid range school, whatever school it is. But do I believe I have the leadership capacity to take that school to heights 
that were previously unimagined, the unthinkable, the impossible. Do I believe that I have what that takes? Well, that starts with one's attitude. And if your attitude, you know, I got a football game on in the background. And if the team, if either one of those two teams walks out, walked out onto the field and looked at the other team and said, like, like, for example, you got the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams playing the Buffalo Bills. So if the Buffalo Bills walked out onto the field and looked at the Super Bowl champion and said, yeah, we good, but we, we can't beat them. They Super Bowl champion, man. They got their rings. They got their trophy. Well, then the game is lost before it even started. That's attitude. See, you could you could talk skill all you want. You can talk, you, you can you can prepare all you want, right? It's like with equity. I always make the distinction between doing equity, that's the practice of equity, that's the training of equity, versus being equity. That's the personification of equity, right? That's the that's that's the embodiment of equity. So that's attitude. So when I bring an attitude that says, I got this. I'm 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 getting ready to win. That's a different mindset from somebody that walks into something with suspicion about themselves and 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 and, and self-doubt and not not sure, unsure as to whether or not I can be successful. So attitude matters. Yeah, well, very much so. Um I just moved from elementary to high school um mm. this this year. And so look, man, coming in that door, alternative school. Attitude wow. matters. <laughs> yeah, it matters. Yeah, it matters. Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, so one month ago, uh, you talked to Dr. Don Parker. And so yeah. uh, one part that y'all talked about was teachers feeling supported by the admin. We're thinking about teacher shortage. We're working through post-pandemic, or I don't even know if it's post yet. No. Uh, but for, hey, there we go, for administrators old in life, um, I, I will pose the same question that you sent to him. How can administrators build bridges to demonstrate support and compassion for the staff they lead? Yeah, you know, it's administration has to understand that even though staff is is you know staff and they're in their bargaining unit and 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 you're in your bargaining unit and you make more and you're the boss, you're the supervisor, you're the you know you're the leader. They gotta understand before all that, they're human beings. Right. And, and, and they need support just like anybody else. And when 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 one can build a culture within the school where the intentionality is all on the camaraderie, the morale, the energy, the feeling like I'm welcome here, the feeling that I'm that I belong here, the feeling that we are a team, not us against them, not administration against staff. But it's us. It's synergy. It's one plus one equals three. But but that leader has this com this innate compassion for the staff that he or she leads. And I understand as human beings, you got your own needs, your own your own interests, your own challenges, your own crises. And 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 I need to position myself that I can be an asset to you, that I can add value to you. But that's got to be intentional on the leader if, if, if I'm going to be able to forge that kind of connection, that kind of relationship, as opposed to an adversarial relationship where, again, it's the administration on the one end, it's staff on the other end. We don't get along. You know, it's all this friction between the two. It's union issues. You know, it's just nonstop. All that stuff. Children suffer when they're in those learning environments. 
So, so I want to, as Don said, Dr. Park, I want to, I want to build the bridge to the staff. So therefore I want to, I want to, I want to be, I want to be authentic, but I want to be genuine that they feel that I'm somebody that they can lean on because I'm somebody that's going to support them along the way and help them to grow pedagogically as teachers in the classroom. Come on, man. Got, got to make that happen. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking about my, uh, my time in elementary. So 2013, I started at the school as a special ed behavior teacher, um, went and worked as a behavior specialist for the district, came back, um, assistant principal, the same campus. So of course, making that transition, it was, it was real. But yeah. but the thing about it, Principal Cofella, in that elementary, you know and I know, uh, there was times where it was only two males out of 100 staff. Yeah. And so moving to high school, man, I got some brothers. Uh, we, we, we could talk about sports. I ain't talking about sports at work in about 10 years. You know, so just getting a chance to do that. But, but my question to you is, as we think about those relationships that I'm building now at the high school level, how do we get brothers in? and get them down to that lower level where we can implement programs uh, like you put in the uh, Saving Black Boys. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's, it's a lot of things. I'm going I'm to I'm throw these two in, in particular. One, we have to we have to discourage teachers from 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 downgrading and, and critiquing the profession of education for their students. Right. Because there's a, because a lot of students report to me and I've, I've seen it, I've heard it where teachers will discourage them from education as a career. Like you, you, you don't want this, the pay is low, there's no respect, you know, the, the, the environment is not good, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, stop telling, stop saying that to them, you know, because maybe, maybe they can change that environment, right? Maybe they can make that environment something very different, but that's a short answer. My, my big answer, anytime anyone asks me that question, where, where do we find these men? Well, I've come to understand completely that the young men are sitting in the classrooms of every school in America. They're, they're sitting in the classrooms and they're sitting there untapped. So in other words, one day years ago, I got on my, uh, my public address system and I said, anybody in this building that has ever considered teaching, even if it was just a fleeting moment, if you've ever considered or saw yourself one day as a teacher, I want to see you right now. I had about 200 young people show up and I said, wow, you all thought about being a teacher. Yeah. And this was me and my principal capacity. I said, well, I'm getting ready to start a club uh, called Future Teachers of America. And it's going to be after school. I want to try to do it twice a, twice a week. I want you guys, if you're really serious, I want you to be a part of this. I'm going to give you a free book. I mean, I gave him a book I wrote called A Handbook for Teachers of African-American Children, a book I self-published many years ago. And I said, and, and we're going to use this as our as our book. And not the 200 showed up, but a whole lot did. And a lot of those kids now, you figure I had freshmen all the way to senior that showed up. A lot, a lot of those kids today are classroom teachers, right? Now, they didn't have the luxury of, say, a partnership with the university where their tuition is paid for and then a contract where they make a commitment back to the district that sent them to college. 
right? Imagine we had to put all that in place as the Call Me Mister and Clemson and other programs have in place. And now there was a there, there was a commitment to train them and then a commitment for them to come back. So my point is, imagine elementary schools, middle schools and high schools begin to tap into them kids while they're babies. Right. It doesn't mean that they're going to be fixed and, and, and never evolve into maybe wanting to do something other than teaching. But imagine the one that decides, I think this is my lane. This is what I want to do. But there's nothing in place to keep that youngster focused on that. And then that youngster deviates from it at some point and goes into another direction. Whereas I'm saying, let's tap into them and let's get them locked in. Right. And let's 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 begin to train as a child in a child, obviously the child's level, but getting that youngster starting to think seriously about one day. And then those partnerships with the university is, are made locally. And now that youngster goes on and we pay for the education, the college pays for it, in conjunction with the district. Right. And then all those men that we that we've been saying that we want those black boys, we got them. We got them. We cultivate. We got them. Now, I just I literally got a text message right now while we're talking from a young man, a brother in there by the name of Sharif El Meki. I don't know if he's on here or not, but um, he texts me right now. He left his principalship in Philadelphia and created this organization whose sole purpose is to recruit and retain black men for education. Mm. It's his full time job. He created it himself. And then he does a conference called the Black Male Black Men Convening, Black Educators, Black Male Educators Convening in Philadelphia, which I'm gonna be one of the speakers this year. So I'm saying that to say he devoted his life to it. This is how he makes his money, with through this organization to go out and find men across America to begin to train them, but also showing districts how to retain them, so that they don't leave and go on and do other things because they're discouraged. Yeah, All that's right. powerful. So that's, you know, that's that's where that's at. Yeah, that's very powerful right there. Wow. Woo. Um, just being able to catch catch our brothers. Um, I, I was in a program like that, uh, kind of dissipated because of the pandemic. Mm. Uh, but I, I want to say the district brought something back where um, we're able to kind of go into those schools and catch young men. But I think, like you said, you got to start early. And you yeah. got to have that that track almost like a, a, a longitudinal study or something. And yeah. then, then, once you say, pray for that college and then yeah. see them through and then bring them back. Um, awesome work. Now, one part of, of the book was, uh, I want to say the chapter was, I am an instructional leader too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, we, of course, know APs over the three Bs, building buses and butts. But we're also charged with being that instructional leader on the front lines with the teachers. So as a new AP that may have not come from a strong background in GNA teaching, how do they begin to turn the tide in becoming that instructional leader? And how would you say they know um, when they have arrived? You know, the, the, the sad part about that is that they are at the mercy of their principal. Yeah. Because although they have a very powerful position as assistant principal, they're not the boss, right? As you know, they're, they're, they're the number two. They're there. Some people say to support the principal or to support the vision of the principal, to assist the principal. And some people, and, and, and I say that, to assist the principal. Some people want to debate me from time to time. No, no, no. I, I, I trained my assistant principal to be so much more than that. Okay, good. However, 
they're not number one. I don't care how much you expose them to leadership. They're still the number two person. They're still there to assist you. If the stuff ever hits the fan, for example, and, and, and it hit the fan because of something egregious that they did, the superintendent is now calling the assistant principal. They're calling the principal about something that happened regarding the assistant principal. So that assistant principal is still there as the number two person. So that person doesn't necessarily have the latitude to be that person that I talk about in the book without the support of the principal, which is why I, I market that program not only to the AP, but to the principal, because I want because if that principal is using that assistant principal the way they use me as an assistant principal, as a full time disciplinarian, monitoring cafeterias two and three periods out of the day. Um, when do I have time to help a teacher to become phenomenal? Because at the end of the day, when we talk about building level leadership, at the core of that work is instructional leadership. Everything else that one could do is secondary. When we talk about school safety, you know, a lot of times, like I, I tell people, my, my, my two non-negotiables as a principal were always instructional leadership and student engagement. So someone once asked me, but what about school safety? I said, that's not one of my non-negotiables. That is one of my givens right? School safety is a given for me, right? So I don't have to put it in that category with, with, with my non-negotiables, that if you come to the school, it is a given that you're going to be safe there, that we're going to do everything we can do to, to ensure that you are physically safe and emotionally safe. So in terms of my practice versus my given, instructional leadership, student engagement. But if I'm with a principal who doesn't see the world that way and doesn't see the value in my assistant principal being an instructional leader, although that person supervises 10, 15, 20, 25 teachers, then I am misutilizing that person. So that's why I say I got to have that principal on that call too. And we haven't even talked instructional leadership in depth as I had in the past. I, you know, I, I hope people go back and watch those videos because I did a five part series on instructional leadership in isolation. But at some point, I'm going to get back to it um, in terms of because there's a lot of new viewers that may not be watching all the old stuff. And I want to make sure that they're hearing that message as well. So I may go back and revisit that or bring on some guests that are strong in instructional leadership. And, you know, we, we have that conversation because that's, that's it's just a critical conversation to have. Very critical, man. You know, you. Oof, these days, as, as you look at that gap that's been created and you look at these tests and how much it's on, on the test scores, uh, just so much. Uh, let's look at some people here. So, Chester, good evening from Texas. How you doing now, brother? Uh, Brooklyn, thank you for all that you do for the children and community. Yeah, well, it's our pleasure. Um, and <laughs> Dr. Johnson, look, when you talk about instructional leader, Dr. Johnson, uh, yeah, that, that girl's a beast. What's up, Doc? All right, look, um, so now, AP, I'm hitting the ground running. You are my principal. To, to get myself going in the game, what would be the one thing that you would tell me, Principal Cofele? Yeah, it's uh, as as the principal to the AP. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 you know I'm going to talk about who I am as principal because I want because they need to know that they need they need to know what my what my purpose is for being there. 
They need to understand. So I call that my leadership purpose versus the, the school purpose. I'm, 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 I'm just isolating me in that one. My leadership mission, right, versus the school mission. That's a different conversation. My leadership vision. I want them to understand that. So then as, as, as they, because I want them to understand me, I want them to understand who is this guy that I'm working with, right? Who is this guy that's leading this school? So, and, and, and a lot of times it, it, we have staff and administration that really don't know, you know, they can't be, because it's so ambiguous. So I want to make it very clear who I am, like what I'm about. So that there's no confusion in terms of the way I move throughout that school, throughout the day, how, how, how I talk to staff, how I talk to children. So I got to make that very clear to the people in the building. And in this case, the people on my administrative team, that this is who I am. Let's be very clear. I am on a very specific mission, right? And, 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 a, and, and a lot of times that mission is rooted in black boys, right? So I'm on this very specific mission as it relates to these boys to prove to the world what these boys are capable of achieving when they're in the right environment with the right people. So, so now as I'm establishing that now I can talk to the AP about his or her role relative to supporting that, because if that's, if that's who I am, if that's my definition, if that's my purpose, my mission, my vision, and then my AP is spending all day reading referrals and making these decisions, which could have lifelong implications relative to suspensions, mm -hmm. then, 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 then I got to not only look at that person, but I got to take a real look at myself. What is it about my leadership that these issues continue to arise? What is it about my leadership that a teacher has to send youngster to the office, and in this case, black boy, so disproportionately. What is it about my leadership that this school is not what I envision that it could or conceptualize that it could be? So, so, so I'm going to continue to work with the AP, but I got to hold up my mirror and keep looking at myself relative to my leadership and what those implications are. My God, man. Mic drop, podcast over. We'll catch y'all next week. It's football time. Russell, <laughs> <laughs> man, you keep coming with it, man. And, and you know, I'm thinking, I, I don't know if it was it was in the black uh, black boys book, but were you uh, AP or, or something in Baltimore? No, I was. Uh, all my whole career was in Jersey, except for one year okay. of teaching in Brooklyn, yeah. New York City. Maybe it was that B. Um, in Brooklyn, I've worked in Baltimore as a, mm -hmm. as a consultant, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I was that, that whole time I was, I was right in Jersey, okay, North New yeah. Jersey and East Orange, New Jersey. But I, I know you went through some struggles with your principal during that time though, correct? Yeah, I, 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 I went through, let me tell you something. Um, and, and those listening, um, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of my struggles, right? I'm, I'm proud that the stuff hit the wall. I'm proud of the suspension that I that I incurred from the superintendent. I'm proud of the almost termination from my from my principalship. I'm proud of the of the large scale media coverage of that of that whole time period. And the reason I say that is this. I made a decision 
that I, very early in my career that I am not going to support the status quo if the status quo is running counter to what children need. I'm going against the grain. So I thought about the people that I practically worship, the people that are, are my heroes in history. So one in particular, I'll just call out one name instead of trying to roll call everybody. Nelson Mandela. Come on now. Right. Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years behind bars, not because he committed a crime per se, but because he stood on a position. So, so what, I, what I mean by that, for someone that may not be conversant in Mandela, those doors could have swung open for him to walk out within most of those 27 years anytime he wanted to leave. All he had to do was denounce the position of his organization, the ANC. So they had a wing that was that, that, that was their self-defense wing, right? Their armed struggle wing. All he had to do was denounce that. And if he denounced it, those doors would have swung open. He can walk out as a free man. He said, the struggle is my life. And I will not denounce that arm that arm of the ANC that was all about self-defense, etc. So he stayed in jail until he ultimately was released, but he didn't compromise his principles. So for me as principal, I ran into a superintendent with, with, with you know, with not getting into all the specificity. I'm going to write about it one day. One, one of my friends said, man, you waiting a long time to write it because it was 20 years ago. I said, I know, <laughs> man, I've been sitting on it. But 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 the bottom line is, I didn't agree with a boss and I decided to go toe to toe with him. Right. I, I, I literally said, I cannot do what you're asking me to do. It is unethical. It is immoral. I will not do it. And for that, I paid a price. I was suspended and, and, and I had a termination hearing coming, but because by then I had name recognition. Right. So, so, so by principal Kefele being suspended, that was newsworthy. Right. So Principal Kefele and also I had the, the, the book I referenced earlier. It was brand spanking new. And I had an interview to talk about the book with the biggest radio station in New York City because because Jersey doesn't have radio. It's got little small stations, but 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 our media is New York. Like if you live in North Jersey, New York City is your media. So we listen to New York radio stations. We watch new we watch the New York uh, news stations for our news and they'll give us a little something something to jersey but it's pretty much a new york news station so anyway they um i had an interview with the biggest radio station in new york city and i was on there to talk about a book they got three million listeners but the callers it was a talk show the callers got through who were the parents of the city i was suspended in my parents my my students parents and they said wait a minute kafele how are we going to talk about a book and they getting ready to fire you on Wednesday? I said, yeah, I know, but I, I, I gotta, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make this book known. Well, one of the hosts, I would think most people, black folks would know this person. His name is James M. Tume. He died recently. If, 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 if you listen to Biggie, Notorious B.I.G. and his first song, Juicy, well, that song is playing, <laughs> that's James M. Tume's Juicy Fruit. If you listen to Stephanie Mills and you love Stephanie Mills, well, James M. Toomey wrote all them songs she sang, right? And so many other artists. So James M. Toomey is also an activist, right? He's, he's one of the founders of Kwanzaa, 
He was there when it was created in 1966. So he was one of the hosts of the show. So he like, Kefele, what, what? They get ready to fire you. I said, yeah, but it's all right, man. I, 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 you know, let's focus on this book. He's like, uh-uh, we ain't talking about no book. He said, we talking about this. Yeah. So to make a long story short, when that hearing came on that, that Wednesday night, September uh, 22nd, 2004, still got it locked in. We couldn't, my wife and I and my son, we couldn't even get in the parking lot, man. All that support that showed up. People from not just Jersey, but New York, Philadelphia, right? Just just, just all these people came to support us. We couldn't get in the building, the board office, because it was just jam-packed with people. Make a, so, so I keep saying long story short, the board reinstated me with a vote of, of, of seven to nothing. Unanimous vote that Kefele, you did nothing wrong. And see, I could go home. I brought my son. He was he's my oldest son, but he was a little kid at the time. And I brought him along. He don't, I don't know if he really understood what was going on at that time, at that age. But I wanted him to see his father at work in that hearing because I spoke at that hearing. And I spoke like a man that, that, that was not fighting for his job. And the board president said, he said, you not you don't sound like someone fighting for your job. I said, no, nah, I ain't fighting for no job. I'm, just, I'm standing here telling the truth of what's going on in this district. Yes, so after hearing that truth, they say, you report back to work tomorrow. You ain't do nothing wrong. Nah, I just did like, I see my wife on here. I just did like, like she said, bam. I just did like, like you know, the people that I, that I celebrate, man, the people that I honor, the people that I, that I lift up, you know, how, 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 how am I going to lift up Malcolm, lift up King, lift up, Fred Hampton, lift up Huey, lift up John Lewis, and then when the stuff come my way, I punk out. Come on now, See, I, I I can't I can't I can't be reading these folks and celebrating them, and then I walk around with a broken back. See, I I I gotta be or walking around bent over, right? I I I gotta be the man that I claim to be. So. What am I saying? If somebody out here is watching right now or will see this video later and you're in leadership, I promise you, you hear me well, this will be the most important thing I say on this broadcast. I promise you the stuff is going to hit the fan one day. Come on now. If you're not a company person. So in other words, if you, if you see wrong happening and you support wrong, then that's on you. But if you see wrong happening, in this case, in my case, with black children, and you decide you're going to turn a blind eye to it, I then fine, you good. But if you decide you're going to stand up to it, then let me tell you something. Stuff, your, stuff going to hit your fan. And then the question is, what are you going to do? I mean, you got a family to support. You got bills to pay. You got all that stuff to consider. So, 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 oh, my son is on here too. So, so what you going to do? And I made a decision. I said, if I'm going to be in this position as a principal, and I know I'm not going to support the status quo ever, then I better have a plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, and so on. So, so, so if they had fired me on September 22nd, 2004, guess what? I was ready, man. I was ready because I had a plan B ready to go the next day. Come on, man. And see, that's so, so if you, so if you are, if you a leader, and I might say if you a black leader, Latino leader, 
and you and, and, and you are fighting on behalf of those children, you are activist or advocate on behalf of those children, stuff gonna hit the fan, man. That's just that's just what it is. And then you have to make a decision with your conscience. Who am I going to be? I'm gonna give you an example. I was speaking at a school district about, I guess it's about a bit, been about a month ago now. It was a small district of about a few hundred students, maybe about 600, 800, something like that. They said, we got eight black students here. I said, okay. This was all administrators in the room. That's all, it wasn't the teachers. I said, okay, I'm going to keep it real with you all. You got eight black students, right? And you asked me to come here today and speak on equity. I said, so let me keep it real with you. And this was like in the morning. This was a six or seven hour presentation. I said, I am here to fight for those eight students that you identified. I don't think they like that. Because I was, the, I was supposed to do two sessions with them. They called me the next day and said, we're going to move in another direction on that second session. I said, okay, fine. You know, they gave me some rationale that was cool with me. Yeah. But I think it was because of what I said. I, I said, I'm here to fight for those eight, right? Because based on their data, those eight were swimming. And I needed them. They were sinking. I needed them eight to be able to fly. So I said, I'm fighting for those eight. And I think they ripped that contract up. But yeah. see, that's so therefore I lost a day's pay. Okay. Yeah. But I could go and look in the mirror later and say that eight children that I would probably never meet in life, I had their back for them six hours. Come that's on. how that's, that's how a, I keep going. That's what we need though. That's that's yeah. what we gotta have, Principal Fella. Yeah. Let's see yeah. here. Uh yeah, of course you say uh that's uh Mrs. That's Hey, look, uh, shout out to boss lady, Ms. Robson. Uh, uh, thank you for that. Great interview thus far. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, she says she's listening. With, uh, that's your son? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Delanda, shout out. Uh, see, she agree with what you're saying, Capella. I told you she's a beast, man. Uh, what she says for all children. Dang, I can dig yeah. it. So, yeah. man, as we wrap this thing up, what, what is next uh, for you? Uh, give us some insight on what you got going and where we could find you next. Yeah, I'm um I just you know I signed a contract with my publisher ASCD um to write three books. I told him I'm a, I'm gonna I'm give you one um by November of 2022 now. Um November 2023 and November 2024 and they're all consistent with this theme I had started on the Saturday Academy called protecting. So you know how we like like you and I as lay people we talk about protecting our truth or protecting our peace or protecting our happiness. But when I do my my quick motivational message on on Saturday mornings I found myself doing this protecting theme and it was 30 different 30 different aspects of of life or leadership where I'm saying protecting this protecting that. And I said, you know something I got some more than more than the 30 and I generated this list of 105 things, aspects, characteristics, traits to protect as a leader, as an assistant principal. So I said, I'm going to turn these into a book. And I, I so, so, so I thought I was going to do 50, 50, 50 because I had the 105, but then I had some other content I was going to put in the third one. But then I, I, I went on and wrote the book 
and I finished the book. I was supposed to start it in September, but I started it in August instead and went buck wild and wrote 30,000 words in less than a month. The book is done. So I'm going to probably send it to the publisher next week or the week after. I'm just going through some final edits. And so that's what's next. That'll be out in May. It's called Protecting Your Assistant Principal Leadership Effectiveness. And what that means, you know, we, we talk about growing as leaders or growing in whatever field, whatever, whatever genre of education. So we talk about professional growth, professional development. But then I said, I want to come at this thing through a different angle. I said, growth, development, but just like a foreign language, if you learn a language and you don't use the language, you can lose the language, right? You spend all that time learning this new language, but you got nobody communicated with, and then you mess around and you lose it because you're not using it. Well, I said, there's skill sets that we develop as leader, but now you got to protect it from being compromised or else you can lose that which you gain. So I said, so, 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 so let me introduce to the world something that we don't talk about, protecting your leadership effectiveness, not just growing and developing as a leader. So I got so into it that I couldn't even do 50 words. I went over my quota of 25. I usually write 25,000 words. So this is going to be 35 uh, questions. And then the second book will be 35. And then the third book will be 35 to make 105. And I'm, I'm excited about what these books can do for leaders, not only assistant principals, but, uh, but, but anybody that reads the book in terms of just protecting, you know, we talk about protecting your integrity, right? Protecting your, uh, your authenticity. And, 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 and I can go on and on. It's just, it's just so much there. So, um, so I'm excited about that. And that's, you know, that's what's on, 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 you know, on, on my, 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 my agenda. And then, um, you know, and then I'm continuing to do this work as a, as a consultant, as a speaker, you know, I go into places, schools and do a lot of professional learning, or I go into schools and districts and do consulting. Whereas instead of being a speaker, I'm walking a building with a principal all day and shadowing, particularly a new principal and just shadowing that person and, we're talking about all aspects, all facets of leadership and how how we can collectively make this person phenomenal at what they do. Right. And that's that's my story. That's it, man. Well, I sure appreciate you um, for taking some time out today, uh, giving us, um, man, such great information. Dropped a bunch of jewels on us today. You know, I always think about when you when you cut those clips up and how powerful that 60 seconds can be. Yeah. Put it on today, principal. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. All right. Well, um, who going to the Super Bowl? Uh, you know, I, I I'm I'm going with Tampa Bay. I'm a, I'm I'm a, I guess I'm Come a Brady fan. You know, Come so on, I'm going with Tampa Bay, and uh, I, I'm 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 looking I'm looking at Buffalo right now. Yeah. And uh, I, I think a Tampa Bay Buffalo Super Bowl is wouldn't wouldn't be far fetched in terms of a prediction. You know, so the, so them, them Cowboys fans out there, you know, I know y'all y'all think y'all going every year. You know, so I, I'm a Giants fan though, but I, I you know I know they ain't, ain't, ain't happening. You know, they, they, they probably didn't make the playoffs. You know, but uh, yeah, Tampa Tampa Bay and Buffalo is my my pick. There we go, man. All right, well, shout out yeah. to Coach Eddie. Uh, he said he enjoyed this. Uh, man, shout out to Dr. Johnson. She said this is great. 
Once again, Principal Grafele, I, I want to say thank you for that time. Uh, look forward to following everything, uh, continuing to follow everything you got going on. And I hope that we you connect. Too. Yes, sir. I yes. appreciate that. Yes, sir. All right. Yes, sir. All right. That'll do All it. Right, All right, y'all. This is KT for KTTV signing out. 100. This is Darnell Broadcast Houston. This is Dr. Tamara Beckford. Hey, this is Candace. This is London Underwood. This is Kirsten Bass with Inner City Greens, and you're watching. Y'all are now tuned in to KTTV. 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 KTTV.